Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. It is the gorgeous Tyson Popplestone coming at you. <laughs> this is just audio. You can't judge me. Whatever. I might look pretty today. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine. Well, I say good friend. I he, he feels like a good friend after a podcast like this. But the truth is, we don't see each other that much. But whenever we catch up on a podcast, I hang up and I go, I think we're the best friends of all time. His name's Ryan Mannix, and he's a yoga instructor. He's a runner. Uh, he's just a switched on unit. I like speaking to him about wellness, um, health development, mindset, running. Honestly, there's a number of things that come up. Today, we even dabbled in a conversation around real estate. But this guy's a guy whose brain you want to pick around wellness most of all. He's spent a lot of time thinking about it. He's a fit guy. He's a healthy guy. He's a thoughtful guy. Um, he honestly, like he's, he replicates pretty much what I'm trying to become in so many facets of my mind and just the way I live so uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. He's a good man. Give him a little bit of love over on Instagram. I'll tag that in the show description. But for now, enjoy this conversation with me and my best friend of all time. His name's Ryan Mannix. Tell us, guys. My usual. Zero, nothing. <laughs> Done. Now we're officially on. No, you were just saying... Um, well, how would you get yourself into something like the Melbourne, Inter- you know, the Comedy Gala or the International Comedy Festival? Dude, is was, it like a big step? Nah, I was talking to some, if you are oh, into the gala, it is. If you want to be, if you want to be up there with the big dogs, it's kind of funny, man. The the Melbourne comedy scene's weird because it's very it's very political in a sense that yep. you don't necessarily need to be the funniest comedian to get a spot on a gala. What's who you know, or is it the kind of jokes you're telling, or yeah, both of those things. So. Okay. Like there's some gun comedians out there, but they they might be a little left to center with some of their opinions. And as a result, it's like a in a lot of respects, a lot of the big decision makers, from what I can tell, to things like gala are very um maybe maybe in the woke category. Like if you're not right. saying certain things, or if you're a little bit controversial, um, you're probably not going to get too many gigs with them. And that's just not my style of comedy. Like I'm not that harsh, but I. I'm definitely not. Oh, I'm definitely not woke in the sense of what I joke about. I like to. I like to talk about things that I'm interested in, even if it's politically incorrect. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so it's like comedians that are sort of, um, you know, talk pushing the boundaries of what they're talking about are generally the ones that are they're, they're causing a bit of controversy, and that's what brings in the crowds. Is that what you're saying? Sometimes. No, nah, man. Like it's weird. It's not that. It's not that the gala crew don't bring in crowds because they do like you'd see pete hallier dave thornton tommy little like they're all guns um but there's there's sort of two avenues i think in the world of comedy or especially melbourne comedy you can take like the mainstream media route like because in in the comedy world you're not necessarily going to get a reputation just for your comedy like sometimes sometimes you can like a bloke like carl Barron, i'm pretty sure he's just known for how how funny he is but then um like to use an international example like a ricky gervais he got famous off his show, The Office, and some of the TV programs that he was doing. And as a result, he was also world-class at comedy. So he kind of had developed a platform. So he would just sell out arenas and people would come to see him. Whereas if you're a starting comic like I am, you've got the option of trying to work for a show like The Project, which I've got no interest in doing, (laughs) and and sort of taking the the media route. Um, Like radio is something that appeals to me a little bit more, but still, still not that much really. That's what because Tom- radio. I mean, I guess you're thinking like Dave Hughes and all those guys sort of started on radio, didn't they? I guess. Yeah. They went, or maybe they started on TV and they went to radio. I guess. Yeah, that's and they're very iconic comedians. I guess just because they've had a lot of exposure through yeah. radio, through TV. 
and that's the kind of that's the kind of road you you're trying to navigate a little bit. It's like, all right, well, do I do I bite my tongue on a whole heap of things so I can get the profile through, so I can sell tickets to my show, or do I just try and pave my own path a, a little bit more and have the freedom to to say what you want? And I mean, like, there's there's so many guns on both sides of that conversation. Like, a Tommy Little is probably the best comedian in Australia, and he's taken the exact opposite approach to to what I'm talking about. So. It's it's interesting, man. I don't know. Like, I feel like the last couple of years, it's kind of inspired me to try and take the the road of creating, paving your own path a little bit more. Because I realize how quickly, um, you know, you can be you can be stepped down in a job, or you can be told if you if you don't do this or you don't say that, then you're probably not the right man for this job. And for me, I was like, uh, I'm not. I don't really like that that game because I always feel like the comedians that I admire and really respect are other ones like a Ricky Gervais or a Louis CK or um, like a Dave Chappelle who they talk about super controversial issues and cause so much uh, tension to, to that woke kind of, like you'd never yep. see that kind of stuff spoken about on the project. But a lot of the times, like people are still offended, but but they do it in, in such a good way, like in such a funny way that it actually makes a fairly controversial topic kind of funny. And that's that was like what attracted me to comedy in the first place. I was I just felt like so much of, um, like your day-to-day life, I was I was biting my tongue and I was kind of attracted to the idea of being able to go to a space and try and figure out how to make the controversial issues <laughs> funny. And I learned real yeah. quick that Melbourne's a, a difficult place to do it in, in some respects. Like if you want to have a, a big media profile um, with mainstream media, it's probably not the right approach. Like, uh, yeah, dude, a, a, a couple of years ago, just during the whole COVID thing, and uh, like I, I was a loudmouth one day and I just put up an it was after like the fifth lockdown and I was like, oh, I'm not going to do lockdown anymore. This isn't, this is silly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, I mean, I uh, feel like everyone was feeling the same vibe. By that, yeah. by that point. And um, yeah, like one of the, like a, a, I won't name him because he's, he's actually a, an awesome bloke, but, but like a big Australian comedian who I'd never met, like he knew nothing about me. Wasn't even a friend on Facebook. My profile must've just been public. He got on there and kind of, got on his bandwagon a little bit saying you got to keep opinions like this to yourself because a lot of people have suffered as a result of this and if you expect to be getting gigs and like media opportunities with with these kind of opinions well you've got something coming and uh, I was like yeah. holy shit like that's the exact opposite to what I want to be but it was it was just so eye-opening to see a bloke with with his profile go hey stop it and I was like it's just a it's just crazy to me that that even existed. Like I'm, dude, I'm no one in the Melbourne comedy scene, and maybe because of things like that. <laughs> but I just well, thought, no, uh, yeah. yeah, I just I got the vibe that uh, if he if he really cared about me and looking out for me, it would have been like a private message saying, "Hey, mate, I know we haven't met, but this." But it was just like a, I got the vibe. It was one of those ones because majority of people on the status were disagreeing with what I had to say. It was one of those ones where you felt, I think, in good company to hold whatever opinion that was opposite to where I was coming from. I mean, that's a, most of those sort of social media channels, aren't they? When I took it off a couple of them, even like I'm living in the sands right now. And it's like, it's, it, it's like a little sort of, um, it was a development like 20 years ago in Torquay. And it's got like a, it's got its own Facebook group, the sands community page and everyone sort of jumps on it. And I was like, Oh, there's just so much backlash and that and like gossip around I was just like I gotta get off this this is like no good for anything you know it's like I feel like there's it's easier to sort of do that in these days you know you can sort of sit back and be the armchair critic it's quite easy to do that it's so but true it's nice, but at the same time you know how gutsy is it to put put your opinion out there as well so um and put your sort of view on the world like as social media is I guess to a degree for that you can put your 
you have a, an opinion and you have the platform to put it out there. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I've been shadow banned as a result of it, though. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if it was that one, but it's really interesting because uh, just in terms of like not from a point of view that I'm I'm real stressed about it, but just in terms of just stating the facts. Like I used to post a photo on Instagram and it would get like a hundred likes, like it was nothing. Do you know what I mean? And now yeah. if I post something that has more than 12 likes, it's it's amazing. So I've kind of oh, done a yeah. bit of research to find out what was going on. So I guess you kind of, I don't know, like I guess you got to be, I don't know. I, I guess for me it's just trying to be as, as loyal to my values and beliefs as I can be. And I don't know because there's a, a few people that hold fairly similar opinions to me with some controversial topics or, or not so controversial anymore Um that bite their tongue and just use it for family photos and comedy stuff. And I'm like, well, that's probably just smarter, to be honest. Like if you're trying to get the most out of what the platform offers. And in the end, no one really gives a shit about what I have to say <laughs> about COVID. Yeah. So in the end, I think the only person that's probably cost is myself, which I guess is why these shadow bands things. Because truth is, I don't know for a fact that it's been shadow banned. I might just be less popular than I used to be. But Well, um, I mean, it's, it's that whole... Who knows? I feel like a lot of crew that are on Instagram. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I, I some, you know, like everyone has a love hate relationship with it. Like if you're doing it in terms of a means to promote what you're doing in the world, and you know, it's a it's a great platform for that. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of people have this sort of love hate relationship with it. You've got to sort of play the game a little bit, or you've got to sort of buy into some sort of algorithm, or <clears throat> I don't know how it works, but it's. It seems tricky. It seems like you got to play the game a little bit with it. Yeah, I definitely haven't cracked it. It's one of those. It's one of those things that I think if I, I wasn't trying to do comedy, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch. Like I, or to be honest, like with with the running coaching that I'm doing, I guess you kind of need it as well because it's a good tool to get the word out about whatever you're doing. But like, I don't know. I, I look at someone like Dave Chappelle who who never use it just to stick to the comedy world, and it's interesting because people go, "No, in this day and age, like you have to have it." But then did some... he never have? Did Dave Chappelle never have Instagram? Nah, not until like a year and a half ago. I don't think. Oh wow! Okay. And it's the yeah, direct... he's like probably the would he would he be like the most popular or the most successful comic? Like one of, wouldn't he? That's a good question. Maybe financially, like yeah, he's definitely in the conversation when it comes to the the money side of that question. Like he's the, the highest earner in comedy. But, also, but I definitely have seen like a lot of comedians refer to him as the goat, like Kevin Hart, like all those guys say that Chappelle's like the goat, like the man. He just knows how to like do it, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting conversation because I felt bad coming into the world of comedy a few years ago. I was never a fan of his, and then right. that's like coming into the running world and saying, "Yeah, I don't, I don't really, really like Al Garouge, or I don't really like Usain Bolt." It's like who cares? Like he doesn't matter what you think he's. He's amazing. But I guess with running, it's a bit more objective. But with comedy, it's a, a very subjective thing. So he's definitely, like, I think he came to he came to Melbourne and I'm pretty sure he sold out two shows at Rod Laver Arena. So he's, uh, he's definitely considered, uh, or people yeah. definitely respect him. They're, they're paying a lot of cash to, to go and see his shows. But, yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird. He was never one that, that I, I really was that into. And now since I got more in the comedy world and started listening to good comedians talk about why they like him, I think I think I respect um, just his ability to tell a story and stuff more than I find him funny. Whereas, like a he's Ricky a storyteller, isn't he? Like oh. he, he definitely tells an, an epic story. He's an epic storyteller. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Whereas, like a Ricky Gervais is just I find him hilarious because I'm like, oh, it's just a breath of fresh air that you're talking about this stuff because you know how much backlash he's going to get. But he's so yeah. funny when he does it. You're like, I know I shouldn't be laughing at this, but it's hilarious. 
I'm the same with um, like Carl Barron. I've always found him to be like Carl Barron or Arj Barker, like two just epic comedians. They don't really, I mean, they tell a story, but they're just, they're pretty just funny, funny guys. I think they would just be funny like that in real life. I get that vibe as well. Yeah, Carl Barron's what, like up there with my favourites of all time. Just such dumb humour, so dorky, so quick and so clever. But so relatable as growing up as, in a, as you know, in this culture of being an Australian. It's like so relatable, like just what he talks about. It's so funny. Yeah, man. That's good. It's good. Yeah, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird scene, the comedy. So there's so many comedians out there as well. Like it's amazing just how many people do it well. Um, dude, I reckon in Melbourne alone, like this could be an exaggeration, but I don't know if it is. I reckon there's 50 different rooms that you can go and do comedy in. Throughout the course wow. of a, throughout the course of a week, like that's open. Well, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I like unless you're not in the in the scene, it'd probably be like yoga. Like there's probably 500 yoga studios you can go and do a class at every night in Melbourne. But like, if you, I guess if you're not in the scene, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't be looking for yoga studios. Yeah, yeah, dude. There's a little yoga studio just opened up down the road from us. I was going to ask you if you had anything oh. to do with. I think it's Lotus. Lo- I did see that actually because I picked my old man up the other day from. Um, the ferry at Queenscliff. He lives over on the other side. He lives in um, McRae. So he got the – it's cheaper to get the ferry over and rather than take the car. It's like 150 return on the car, which is – I mean, I guess obviously it's pretty expensive to run the ferry and put cars on. But um, if he parks his car on one side and then I pick him up, I just didn't know it was like a 45-minute drive. I was like, oh, it must be like 20 minutes over there. So I cruised over and I'm like, oh, geez, an hour and a half in the car. And then I got to drop him back in the other. I was, I was like, gee whiz. <laughs> but um, anyway, I was cruising past and we did see Lotus Yoga and it looks like it's on the corner there and it looks, yeah, it looks pretty new and fresh. I don't know who owns it or who's running that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I great thought. Area. Is that Ocean Grove or Point Lonsdale? Where was that? That's Point Lonsdale. Point Lonsdale, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's right on sort of the brink of the Queenscliff because I'm on Ballerine Highway. I'm about 400 metres from there and I'm technically Queenscliff and I think the other side of the roundabout that it's built on, that's where you hit Point Lonsdale. But, dude, that – place where it's built like i don't know when did you say you picked up your dad it was last last thursday this time last thursday so it was kind of um i noticed that it was yeah it looked like it was on the back of a house or and to be honest a lot of the studios the the studios down on the coast there's a lot of home studios like even in Torquay, there would probably be like seven or eight home studios where people just run the studio from their house which obviously is cost effective if they've got some space in the house then they save on rent which is one of the main sort of um overheads as a studio owner so you know i think hopefully they do well because there's not much down there i guess there's some in ocean grove but not much yeah elsewhere yeah there's a couple in ocean grove the place it was like a, a bomb of a house for ages it was just a house that was on sale forever and i thought oh, oh wow. like i thought this was a good part of town but i was thinking because it's kind of on the corner at a roundabout so i was thinking for anyone who wants to buy it as a home you're going to be in a potentially noisy part of town but i don't know if they've done anything to to help with that be interesting to see how they do go down here man because it's a like it's a super old population where I we are that. like i drove into queenscliff and i hadn't been there for a few years and gee whiz it's a stunning town like the kind of reminded me a little bit of ballarat but ballarat like a coastal version of ballarat like old homes very yeah. heritage sort of feeling um definitely lots of a you know elderly population it was cool though super quiet felt chill yeah it's a real chill place i actually like this part of town in the middle of summer because you get people from melbourne come up and or from all over like it's a cool little holiday destination and i i reckon the town livens up a little bit like there's a car show they've got a few events throughout the year that just makes it a cool town 
Um, That's like Torque used to be. Like I think Torque used to be in summer. It was a good hub, but now I think so many more people live in Torque. It's sort of got a bit more of a buzz even through the winter. Yeah. So, are you, dude? Do you say you're in Sands? Is that that little town sort of tucked in behind the dunes? Yeah, it's kind of like. Um, yeah, it's on the way into Torquay and to the left, like down near White's Beach or more like towards Point Impossible Beach. Like that's my closest surf break. It's like seven minutes to Point Impossible. That's amazing, man. Yeah, we're, we were driving from um, yeah, from our house to go to Torquay a, a couple of months ago and I think we took a little detour and went past Sands because I remember a mate telling me that there's like this little secret town that no one really knows about. I was like, what the heck? Like I'd never heard. Even when you said Sands then, it took me a, a minute to register that I – it was it was that little uh, that little cool town. What what took you out there, man? That's a that's a cool little uh, cool little location. Well, you might be thinking of um, um, what's that little spot? Uh, which is right near me. It's, it's like a stone throw, but you got to. There's no roads to get there. That that could be. Um, oh, what is the name of that little spot? Yeah, I'm pretty much there. I'm really close to there. I, 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 to be honest, I was actually. Not really thinking. I mean, every time I came down to Torquay, I used to teach in Torquay on the weekends and I used to drive from Melbourne as a nice way to sort of break up the Melbourne week. I used to come down every weekend and I used to teach Saturday mornings in Torquay and I'd leave Melbourne at like 6am and cruise down. It was a beautiful drive. It was like the highway was empty. There's no one on the road at that time, especially on a Saturday. And um, I'd come down and teach Saturday morning and then I'd uh, head back to Melbourne in the afternoon or I might even stay over and go back on Sunday. So it was a great way to break up. So I did that for years. Like I taught every Saturday, probably like three years, I'd drive down, I'd commute every Saturday morning. And it was great. I got into surfing a bit more and started to get the, you know, get in touch with the community down here. And then every time I was driving down, like I was just, I was like, wow, Torquay is like just blowing up. Like there's all this building going on. There's like, and I'm like, this could be a really good opportunity to buy something because I feel like this it's only going to go up in Torquay. I could see all the, the infrastructure going in. I was like, and you know when you sort of got that FOMO, you're like, oh, my God, I better get in or it's, I'm, I'm going to miss the boat. And um, and funnily enough, I, I was running a teach training down here and I just, just sold a place that, that I'd um, bought out in Cranbourne North. It was just a, as an investment. Like, don't think of me as a – property guru I'm not like at all but it was just I was lucky that my mate pointed me in the right direction he was like why don't you buy a house and land out in Cranbourne North and it went up and I sold it and then I had some money sitting there and I was like I went for a run during teacher training at lunchtime I was just cruising around and <clears throat> I ran down in the sands because it was really quiet I wanted to do a long run I had a bit of time and um funnily enough there was this house for sale I ran past this house and I was like oh wow that's that's a good little spot and it was just and then the next lunchtime I went back and I made an – there was an ins- open for inspection. I went through and I made an offer and houses weren't really moving at that time. It was one of those lulls in the market and I got the house and I was like <laughs> totally unsuspected. So here I am, you know, like four years later and Torquay's gone up and I've been, you know, stoked to see, you know, the community growing but at the same time bloody lucky to get in when I did. Yeah, man. What? So you bought four years ago? Yeah, pretty much. It was like – 2019 um and it was like one of those times where i guess we're like now but there's a bit like houses are sitting there for a lot longer and i think the house had been on the market for like six months or something and no one was getting offers and talkie hadn't like gone bananas yet i feel like real estate was sort of in a bit of a lull real estate's always been pretty strong in australia though hasn't it it's like that's the 
just our culture. People want to buy houses and settle settle down. So, yeah, I was just lucky to get in when I did. And I wasn't really looking around this area particularly. I was just went for a run. And you know how when you run you see things that you don't really see when you're driving around the streets because you don't you venture into little pockets that you don't usually go into, as you know, as a runner. I do, so, I yeah. do. No, I know all about that. That's um, that's one of my favourite parts of running when you visit a new town. Yeah, that's exciting. 2019. So I did you just say that the property prices at the moment are kind of hovering at around, like the, you're not selling houses as quickly as you were maybe 12 months ago? Well, yeah, I mean, 12 months ago, you'd, put, you'd see a for sale sign go up and the next day you'd see a sold sign. <laughs> like, this is just out of control like you know even at the start of COVID like 2020 2021 it was just like going off it was like crazy and people were and now like places been on the market for six seven months and not selling I've just noticed that there's definitely been whether people are like interested in what's happening with the interest rates or so I mean there's so much speculation around real estate I can't I'm not a and as I said I don't know that well so I can't speculate but I think people are a bit more cautious yeah, it is interesting. I've noticed that we've got a friend of ours around the corner, or a friend's mum around the corner, and she's got a beautiful place down here, and it's a, like it's pretty pricey. So you'd want to be making a good decision. But even that place has been on the market now for it must be pushing twelve months. I think she's yeah. asking for like four million dollars for it, and it's a really nice house. But like when something's been on the market for twelve months and it doesn't sell in this town, you go, oh, what, what's going on there? Because dude, apparently in Queenscliff, I got a, uh, we get like a little monthly newsletter or magazine just dropped off in the letterbox and it said that the average house price in queenscliff during 2021 i think it was i don't know if it was 2021 or 2022 but one of those the average house price went up by 1200 dollars a day for the whole year wowzers so yeah, i've pay- seen some yeah. ridiculous figures like i've seen it was like the top 10 um areas in victoria that went up and it was like Anglesey, I think, had gone up. The Bright, Bright, that little sort of town out near Falls Creek, it went up, I think, 280%. Anglesey went up like 150%. So if you bought like three years ago, it's already gone up 150%, which is massive. Because <laughs> yeah. remember the whole, like, it used to be the calculation. Um, I did have an interest back in the day in real estate, and it used to be like, okay, you buy a house, and in 10 years' time, the house price generally doubles. So if you bought like 10 years ago for 500 in 10 years' time, it's probably worth a mil. But that's just like blowing that out of the window. Like in a, in a year and a whole, in three years' time, it's gone up double and plus half, you know, like 150%. It's like crazy. Yeah, it's going to be – it's really interesting. Like I, I know nothing. You'd know so much more about the world of real estate than me. But one thing I know and I've noticed is that especially like my mum and their generation are, are massively obsessed with the idea of buying a place. And I lo- love it too, especially when you've done it like you've done it. Like you get in at a good time and you, you actually make some money off it and um, like it makes a lot of sense to me, but it's really interesting because I, I often think like, does it just keep going on this trajectory forever? Because I, I think I've got a two-year-old kid now and I'm like, well, like the unless he's a bloody amazing entrepreneur, like good luck getting into the market, especially in this part of the world. Like you can't, even if I, we're renting this place that we're in at the moment and dude, it's an okay house. Like I reckon, honestly, we're on a big block, like 700 square block. The house was built, I think, in the 70s. And when the, like, no joke, when the wind blows hard, the house rattles and shakes. I'm upstairs at the yeah. moment. And even when our, our, this could just say more about our washing machine, but even when our washing machine's on the final cycle of spin, the top floor sort of wiggles a bit. Dude, yeah. 12 months ago, they had this house valued at 1.5 on realestate.com. Wow. I was like, this is not a $1.5 million house. Like, even if I had 1.5 sitting in the bank, I feel like this is not where I would, I would want to spend it. So I often think, like, 
like my my kid and his kids, and like two hundred years down the track, have to buy a place somewhere. Like I know, like what happens surely, there? I don't know if it can keep. But this is the whole thing. Like ten years ago, everyone was like, I don't know if it's going to keep going, and then here we are. It's like, you know, it's just. I feel like there has to be a point where, and this is the whole thing with like, you know, you know, when we pull back to like talking about things like the climate and climate change and like, um, you know, like there's extinction of plants and animals. And like when I look around Torquay and I sort of, it's kind of sad to see all of the, the paddocks and like where kangaroos hang out and there's so much wildlife. And it's sort of sad to see that we're just continuing to build. And, and I guess it's, mm. you know, it's needed because there's more people that are living in the world. But at the same time, you know, I, I once heard a great yoga teacher say that if um, if we are, you know, nothing, science isn't going to say that if we are on the brink of like, you know, sort of a civilization, a collapse in society, like science isn't going to save us. It's consciousness or it's like it's our consciousness is going to save us. Like we need to desire different things rather than sort of like, wanting more, building more, you know, more money, more bigger houses, more wealth. We need to desire different things in order for the world to sort of heal. But I thought that was kind of useful. And even though I sort of get stuck in that trap of like, oh, more is better and I want to, you know, I want to get more. I want to, maybe I should get an investment property or maybe I should, I don't know. Like it's, there has to be a point where you can just sort of slow things down and desire different things and just always getting more you know yeah bro yeah it's so tricky isn't it like i don't know even though i've got i've got this house and i'm pretty content like it's it's great and maybe i'm just saying this because you know i've I've been lucky to get a house and so forth but at the same time you know i'm not really interested in investment properties even though i I sort of think about it every now and again and i get caught up in that sort of world to know i think we it's uh, you know if, if you're talking about your your like your kid like if we just keep on, if people just keep investing and trying to grow their wealth and then I guess it gets rippled onto like your kid and their generation, their generation. It's just like, we're always, you know, we're desiring more, more wealth, more, and no one can really buy in anymore. It's like just the, the rich get richer and the people that can't afford it, can't afford it even for even longer. Yeah. And that's the thing I'm trying to decide because every, so many smart people have said, Hey, Tyus, make sure you buy a house. I'm like, okay, I'd really, I'd really like to. And I, I really have liked to have done it a few years ago, ideally, um, if only we had a crystal ball or, you know, the, the big yeah. flying back in hindsight. Um, but then at the same time, I'm like, I'm actually, this isn't a decision based on anything financial. This is just a decision based on like me as an individual and, and how my family feel. Like we're pretty happy apart from the, apart from the fact that the landlord could say, Hey, actually I'll, I want you guys to leave. Like that's the only form of, tension that you can feel if you think about it a little bit and that's not to say that if we had money we wouldn't um you know look at, at buying a decent place somewhere or but our problem is now we're here we we really love it so the idea of going back to any other suburb we go i don't so now <laughs> if you want to stay here yeah. you need like one and a half mil at minimum but it's interesting yeah sorry go on but i get it yeah but then what about this australian dream of yeah let's buy a house and let's like i guess it's good to you know buy a house because at least you feel settled but at the same time if you did have to shift and move Unless, as long as you can move in the same area, you'll be right. But, you know, to have one house is great, but then to have, like, you know, one of a couple of my mates are like, build a portfolio, like, get 10 or 15 houses. I'm like, oh, what are you going to do with 10 or 15 houses? It's quite stressful. And then when you sell a property, you know, from experience, like, if I sold, let's say I sold a property, 
you pay a hell of a lot back in tax. So at the end of the day, over the course of however long it was, you pay half back to the government anyway. And it's like, not that that's bad because I, I like paying, you know, it's fine to pay taxes because, you know, we it's good to pay taxes. It means you're making money. But at the same time, there's a lot of stress and a lot of angst, buying houses, wanting more FOMO. It's like, I don't know. I feel like we've sort of lost touch. I, I used to think that I've, you know, if I look back, I lost touch of like just enjoying life rather than sort of always chasing after stuff. Uh, dude, when I you say, yeah. you know? Yeah, I totally know. I, I feel a hundred percent the same. Dude, I was actually like what the yoga teacher said. I was uh, coincidentally this morning, I was, I was reading through a particular Psalm just in the Psalm 49. And it was talking about uh, that so many of us lose touch with ex- exactly this. Like we lose touch with the idea of just living a life and get caught up with the the constant chasing of, of wealth and riches and saying that whether you're rich or poor, eventually you'll be dead. So it's like, don't lose sight of that because the truth is that you can build your 15 house portfolio and that's sweet for you. And then it could be sweet for your kid. And then like, it sounds a little bit morbid, but it's kind of a weight off your back as well. When you think about it, it's like, all right, well, like in the context of the fact that in 80 years or whatever, you'll be dead and none of this is going to be yours anymore anyway. Like why are you putting so much pressure on yourself to own it all? And it's For weird, sure. man, because I get caught up in whatever it is, like whether it's comedy or whether it's my running coaching or whether it's like just insert anything. Um, it's almost a game to me. It's not even necessarily the money that I need. It's more the, the, the chasing of it that's the fun part. And it's like, it's not that yeah. I actually need more numbers in my bank to be happy. It's just that that's maybe a, it's like running a PB. It's just the numbers changed a little bit. And it's, I guess it represents something about yourself that other people might be interested in. But if that's all you've got as a, a foundation, and this is what I loved when I first met you doing a yoga class with you at Lululemon, he's just, your teaching during that course was like, oh, this guy, like he, he, this makes a lot of sense to me. I left that class feeling not just nimble and flexible, but also like, ah, that's a breath of fresh air. And it's um, it's amazing how often you need to be reminded. Hey, I guess that's the beauty of being a yoga teacher. You got to tell everyone every day, and as a result, you get to hear it too. Yeah, and then you hear from great people, and you sort of realize that actually, and that's why it's been so great about like having a yoga studio and down in Torquay is like building a community and fostering community. And you know, when you talk about desiring different things, you know, desiring like connection and community, and rather than like wealth and chasing fame and success you know like because as you said like at the end of the day we're all going to hit the floor and you can't take any of that stuff with you but and you know like if you're on your deathbed and you're having your last breath what do you remember the houses that you bought and the, the wealth in your bank or do you remember the your memories of going on holidays spending time with your kids like having you know times down the beach I, I don't know I think I'll remember those times rather than how much is in my bank account for sure man. for sure and it's so weird how much we all know that like you say that and everyone goes yeah yeah of course oh, and, no. then, yeah. and then we wake up and we're like okay I've got to go to work because I've got to yeah. I've got to buy all this new stuff it's just a it's a constant balance it's a it's a weird balance to me because I know it mentally and then every now and then like Jesse my wife she'll go like what are you what are you doing you're so worked up today I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm not 100% sure, sorry. And it's in those moments where I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I've lost touch with what I know to be true. What's important. And I think that's a good thing. It's like a remembering and a forgetting. And it's not a, It's not like, it's It's like, gee whiz, like I'm not, um, I'm not on my game. It's just a remembering and a forgetting. Like we remember, oh, like what's important, then we forget again. Like get out of my way, I need to get this. Or like, you know, I'm better than you. Or, and then we remember again, ah, it's actually, oh. 
it's all good. And then we forget again, and then we remember it. It's just like <laughs> a constant dance of life, you know? Yeah, and it's funny as well because there's so many – like the one thing – I was having a conversation with a bloke last night actually down in Melbourne. We were, we were speaking about what you and I started speaking about, and that is just in the world of comedy, like the way that you can build an audience now is not like it was back in the 60s. Like in the 60s, you had one option. That was either – like you, you can be a great comedian – but the only way you're selling tickets is if you're going on some big talk show, and that was okay. your that was your ticket. Whereas now you can be on YouTube, you can do a podcast. Um, not only can you do those two things, but there's like 15 subcategories of what you can do within each of those platforms, and it's kind of overwhelming to know how many possibilities there are that might actually work to really commit to one. And I find this in the the like the I guess you call it. Um, like the personal development space as well. You can listen to one bloke and he makes a lot of sense. And then you listen to some other chick and she makes a lot of sense. And then you you insert like 35 different people and you're like, ah, now I feel I really want to apply all of these things, but it's hard just to apply one of them. So like even even the that constant reminding can be hard because you can just get overwhelmed by choice. It's like going to Coles and uh, like you just go down for milk and they've got 25 choices. You're like, ah, oh, I don't know. Yeah. For sure. There's so many platforms you know, like emails. Am I going to send a newsletters? Am I going to send like TikTok? Am I going to get on like Instagram? How can I promote? And then at the same time, it's like, what are we striving? Like, what are we chasing? It's like, are we chasing fame or wealth or success? Or And I, and then it sort of comes back to like, what's success anyway? Like, is it successful? Like, I've got this retreat coming up. It's a little meditation retreat with a mate that I teach it with Chris and it hasn't been a real popular one like it's to put it out there it's been a bit of a, a flop we haven't been great on like every time I sort of went to open Instagram and put something up on every I'd scroll through my Instagram and everyone was selling something buy my retreat buy my like package buy my training and I was like oh I don't know if I can put something up on and I don't want to sort of jump on that energy at the moment um to buy 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 but um so whether it was a flop on the marketing side, but at the same time, you know, meditation, five-day meditation retreat, not everyone's sort of into that, take take five days off work to go and sort of sit in and meditate. You know, you have to sort of – it's been a learning curve. But at the same time, what is success? You know, we've got a little crew coming away to Byron tomorrow. We're going to – we'll all sit and we'll have moments of noble silence and we'll all be talking about meditation. And, and a couple of these people might go back and they might have their own home meditation practice after they – you know, walk away a bit for, from retreat being with us for five days. They might really have a moment of like decompressing, you know, after being busy with kids and so forth. So is it success if we just get purely numbers to things or is it success that we can change little life? That's what I'm trying to remember. Like rather than be like down on myself for, oh, I didn't really sell this one that well or <clears throat> why isn't this working? Actually, it is working. I'm just, you know, like I just have to look at, what's in front of me rather than like compare myself to all those things. I don't know. I always feel like what's the measurement of success? Is it the yoga teacher in their own garage that like have six students and those students are coming back week in, week out? Or is it the yoga teacher who is filling, you know, the studio with 50 different people each week? Um, it could be, they could be both the same measure of success. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's weird, isn't it? It's like there's different metrics under that title of being a yoga teacher that you can, measure how successful you're being and I feel the same with the running coaching sometimes like sometimes I'll be I'll, I'll be frustrated because it's like oh I'm not selling as many programs as I should but then exactly like you say but you've got however many people that are signed up to one and actually saying hey it's improving my running it's yeah, yeah it's weird man it's like I guess it's under that same category as what we we're just explaining with how many people there are that 
have great advice to follow. It's like, okay, well, it's this is all really good, but there's it just I guess it depends which one you zoom in and focus on, which dictates how well you feel. And what you just did then, where you were sort of just asking yourself the question about like what is success? That's I feel my go to a lot of the time, and I've tried to be more disciplined with it lately because. I felt like I got myself into a bit of a funk of just constantly being on the grind and going, all right, like I want to see improvement. And then whenever I get like that, it's like, well, regardless of how much improvement you see, you're never going to be content because once you reach that new landmark, it's like your vision's automatically reset to the next one. And yeah. for me, like I was I've like, I know one thing that works really well is, is they call it CBT, just that cognitive behavior therapy, just challenging faulty thinking patterns. And sure. I've just started to get back into a little bit of that because there's so much of the rubbish that goes through your head if you're not on it. I just I feel like I've got a little flabby brain at times, you know. Like I love yeah, the yeah. I love the analogy of of just you know when you go to the gym and work out your muscles, you see that physical improvement, but only if you're consistent with it. And I think that's one thing that I, I get a little bit flabby in is the mental side of my workout routine, where I will just get stuck in some negative, not even negative, but just not. I guess you call it negative, like some negative thought patterns that are just not making me feel happy. It's making me more grumpy and snappy. And I'm like, oh, yuck. Like this is the opposite of what I want to be like. So I've I've started to try and do a bit more of that. So because my wife's great at it. Like I'll talk to Jesse and I'll just say something that's on my mind. And she's like, yeah, but what about this? And I'm like, ah, that feels wonderful. That's refreshing. And I'm like, I could ask myself that question. Different perspective. I love that. And that's why I love hanging out with different crew because you get a fresh perspective on things and you sort of get out of your funk a little bit. You know, like um, there's this whole idea around store consciousness that like we, within the conscious mind, we have this, we have, it's the storehouse for all of the seeds of like we have anger, we have joy, we have resentment, we have jealousy, we have happiness, we have compassion. And it's like every now and again, we all have the agency to kind of stop and see like, what's the garden of my mind look like right now? Like what, what seeds am I watering? Am I watering the seeds of jealousy and resentment or um, comparison or, or am I watering the seeds? Because let's face it, whatever seed you water is what the seed that's sort of growing and, and you're nourishing that sort of. So I think that's a good thing about like all of this. You know, when you study the mind or you, you're talking about um, CBT and all that sort of stuff. When you study those things, you start to realize that, oh, you know, this moment is the seed for what's happening next. So how can I actually, am I going to keep going down the same path of like resentment or this habitual sort of condition pattern that just keeps repeating on itself or is there something different? And I think that's a good thing about these sort of conversations because it's sort of just, oh yeah, actually it's all good anyway. Like there's nothing, it's all pretty good. Like what's the, what's the point of it all? Not in a sort of what's the point in it all, let's all pack it in, but like, Let's just stay in our lane, keep enjoying what we're doing and putting stuff out there and, you know, like stop measuring success around what others are doing or what because it just leads to resentment and like comparison and I don't know. I feel like that sort of can be quite prevalent in society these days, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, I was – I can't even remember where I was reading it or who wrote it but it just sticks in my mind and it was speaking about the the sort of invention and the mass distribution of the iPhone – back in 2006 or seven or whenever it was. And just the correlation through surveys of like a huge increase in anxiety in the people who use them since that time. I don't know. Yeah. I think it might've been more directly um, related to, to teenagers, but I, I, I mean, I, I guess if I was a gambling man, it'd be pretty similar with adults who use technology a lot. And I wonder, cause everything you just said then it, it, it makes perfect sense. Like if you can just, have your own little wheelhouse, focus on what it is that you're doing, do it well, 
awesome. But enjoy as- it. Yeah, and like, and then celebrate the wins of yourself. Celebrate others' wins. Like, don't worry about like you know, just like, just just let's just all do this together because it's all good stuff. You know, like your comedy is good stuff. It's making people happy, and then someone else is. You know, I remember listening to Chappelle and he was talking about um, Kevin Hart. And he, was, he had this skit about Kevin Hart. He was like, oh, my son took me to Kevin Hart concert, like um, show the other the other day and, and he was sitting in the second row and, and like there was thousands of people and um, and something along the lines of like when Dave Chappelle, you know, did a show and there was like hundreds <laughs> of people and he was like, damn, Kevin Hart, like what the <laughs> You know, but it's like it's funny, but at the same time, it's so true, isn't it? Like, especially in our own industry, if like someone's doing well, then sometimes is that like, why aren't I doing well? I should be doing like that. Like, why is that person doing? So, like, there's a sometimes there's this like comparison or like, what, why, what are they doing that's better than me? But we forget to just stay in our lane and celebrate what other people are doing. Because at the same time, like, why did you get into comedy or why did I get into yoga? Is because it feels good. So we want to share that. Like, if someone's telling jokes and it's like everyone's getting a laugh, and then you go up and you bomb. Well, it's like it is what it is. Like it's 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 hard to be like, damn you for getting all those laughs. Or <laughs> it's like, this is good, man. Congratulations. It's so good that you know. Like I'm stoked that everyone's laughing because that's why I'm in the game to get people laughing. And if they didn't laugh at my jokes, thank God that they laughed at yours. Sort of yeah, thing, you know? dude. And that's the attitude you got to have, isn't it? Because like when you can strip the emotion away from that experience, which is I feel traumatized just hearing about it. Like just the thought of everyone else getting a laugh and me getting up and bombing. It's not like it's <laughs> never happened, but it's terrifying. But if you can actually just take it for what it is, which is really helpful feedback, it actually can improve your game. And this is like, so, so I keep going back to comedy, but it's the, um, I think it's my my fresh comparison at the moment is there's so many people in the scene. And, and one thing you learn real quick is the people who are successful, are obviously those with like a, a some element of talent and some element of luck but also they have the ability to get back up from a bomb or from negative feedback or from just a a complete train wreck. And if you can sort of just take it as feedback without the emotional strain of, oh, my gosh, I'm so bad at this. Like it's there's not much of a better way to improve. And I guess that's true. You and I are both runners. Um, You know, you can look at a bad running performance or a, a, a frustrating yoga session or whatever it is that you're doing, you can get to the end of and be like, all right, what what happened just then? Because that was something was off. Or even just to keep going, looks like I'm sure the comedian that you are like now is a probably more skillful comedian than you were like three or four years ago. Like I think you're, you know, you probably be able to sort of read the room a bit better or whatever it is. But that's only come from experience. So if you bomb and you throw in the towel after two years of doing it, then like if you stay in it for ten years, you're just going to get smoother. It's like teaching yoga. It's like the first few classes, you like. It's just like it's a train wreck and then all of a sudden you start getting a bit more clear on things and a bit more like skillful with how you're cueing poses and so forth and you start to become like a better teacher and better as in like that's a loaded word but, you know, you start to – it's just the class feels a little bit smoother. So, yeah, for sure I feel like that's the thing, just stay in your lane and and just keep being – keep enjoying what you're doing and like be happy for other people's wins and that's a – it's a tough one. sounds simple. And it is simple, but it's not easy because then we get caught in the ego mind of like, oh, man, like why am I doing well? Or like why didn't my retreat so well? Or why the hell they get a laugh and I didn't? Or wow, that guy stole my joke or like whatever it is, you know, like yeah. I'm sure there's different things in different industries. Or why did they get a pay rise and I didn't get a pay rise? Or why did they get the promotion? Like whoever's listening out there, I'm sure it can show up in so many different ways. But it's like just stay in your lane and then in 10 years' time, 
you're going to be, you know, like imagine yourself in 10 years' time. Because we think the short game sometimes, but we forget the long game. It's like running, you know. Remember, like, just stay consistent, don't get injured, build up lots of miles, and then all of a sudden you're a much better runner. It's amazing. And that's so fresh. I'm, um, I'm training for – I say I'm training for it. I am from uh, a distance, essentially. I'm training for the Melbourne Marathon this year. So I'm just doing four days a week of running at the moment. And the reason I'm doing that is because – for the last two years, I might I might have gone out for just a couple of jogs. Yeah, it was you know I'd just do a little bit here and there. So I'm going out there and trying to just to reestablish that consistency back in the training. And it's amazing how much. And to be fair, like I, my body's adjusted pretty quickly and, and relatively well, apart from like a couple of little calf strains that I've been trying to navigate my way through. Um, but just to get back into that consistent routine of it. it, it sort of serves as a reminder of how much that progress can kick in when you can stay true to it. Cause back in the day, like I was running times that I look at now and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that was some fast running in my early, yeah. I'll go out in some of my sessions now and put in the same effort level and be like, I just, I would have got my ass kicked by the old me. And uh, I'd say well, yeah. it genuinely doesn't bother me that much, but it's just to sort of magnify your point of the, the benefit of consistency and just, just staying with something because yeah, it really, it really does just add up. But with all of that said, I'm trying to develop just that uh, four days a week to, to get my body, my mind into the, the running sort of uh, routine. And then if I can maintain that and stay strong, stay fit until like June, I'll probably do like a 16-week build-up to the Melbourne Marathon and try and have a really good crack. Because speaking of ego, the 2018 was the first and my last marathon that I've done, and yeah, I walked away just getting whacked by that. I don't know if I told you, but was it Melbourne Marathon? Yeah. What would you? So did you finish? I finished. Yeah, uh, just because <laughs> my oh, problem. My problem was, dude. Like I had a really unstructured training routine, and as much as I knew how much you need to respect a distance like the marathon, I did one run of thirty k, and the rest were about like twenty four around about. And I yep. got out there, and I'd been doing heaps of sort of speed work. And I, I went through the first half in like an hour and 19. I was like, running is the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, that's I'm, pretty quick. You're on time for some, something slick. Yeah, but dude, I went into the race thinking, I'll just try and break three. And then I got yep. caught up in the moment and I was just having fun. I was like, running is simple. This is easy as. And yep. uh, at, honestly, at 21K, I was like, I reckon I'm going to run 235. This is so easy. And I'm not kidding. I hit 24K and I was like, I, <laughs> something, the wheels came off. Something happened. I got, I don't know, I don't actually know if I had like a bug stuck in my throat or, but I just had this like coughing fit from like 22 to 23K and it had never happened before. And then after that, I'm not sure if that was like the psychological start of my wheels coming off, but that was something happened there and my energy was just zapped. And I got to 24K and I'm like, I'm not finishing. Like, oh, this is going to be hard to, <laughs> this is going to be hard what to did finish. You, what did you uh jog across the line in three three oh five still pretty good not bad but dude i remember um the like the last i was at 35k and i was i was about 34.8k and i was like all right there's a 35k marker coming up i'm gonna do everything i possibly can to run the next kilometer in five minutes which as you know when you're trying to break five, three hours it's not that fast really yeah yeah um but when you're 35Ks into a race like that and the wheels are falling off, <laughs> it's agonizing. And so I got myself all mentally ready. I had 200 meters to do it, 50 meters to go. All right, here we go. 
I pressed the lap button on my watch, dude. I got 50 meters into five minute pace. I was like, yeah, this isn't, this is, I can't. Like I was, I was doing everything <laughs> correct. Yeah. And mentally I was, I was ready to push it, but my legs were like, yeah, you're kidding yourself, mate. So, oh, so that's good. Well, it's good that you're going to go up and have another crack. What's that three, four years ago, I guess, four years ago? Dude, it would be five years. But, yeah, by the time I'm lining up in right. Melbourne, which is so crazy to say because it just feels like yesterday, really, you know, in a, lot of, in a lot of regards. But I'm going back into it with a lot more, uh, a lot more respect and a lot more preparation because yeah, it was my dad. My dad was standing at the 21K mark, and he's like, I remember him saying, Tight, mate, you look awesome. And I said to him, I was like, I feel great. And then, <laughs> I don't know if you know the Melbourne Marathon, but you kind of loop around down at St. Kilda. Ah, uh, is it St. Not St. Kilda Road? Oh, I know exactly where you were because I ran it last last year and it's like I was doing the half and we turned we turned after the outset and we turned sort of back on a St. Kilda Road to go back towards the G and the marathon has turned left to go back up towards the shrine. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I would, like, not want to be going up that hill right now. <laughs> and I think that was probably about the 21K mark. And I was like, those poor buggers that are running, like, up that hill. Oh, how did your half go? Half was good, yeah. I think I, I ended up with 116. So I was still, the wheels were turning pretty quick. But I've got this next-door neighbor, Cameron, who's, like, he's a bit of a jet. He's on the sort of, he's on the, he's got a really good trajectory of, like, just improvement at the moment. He's only been running for four years. And he's doing... He ran like 2.34 at Melbourne, so he's running pretty quick. <clears throat> and um, when he debuted at like – that's his third marathon. It was like three hours debut and then he like ran 2.54 and then 2.34. So he's like definitely moving quick. So I've just – I was basically jumping in with one speed work session a week with him and it was like long tempo stuff at like 3.35 pace, which was that sort of pace that I wanted to run for the half. And then the rest was just like long, easy jogging, sometimes like six-minute K pace. But I think – all of the long running got me through, um, but I couldn't spin at 3.30 pace. I was went through 10K at like 35 minutes and I was like feeling fresh as a daisy and then got to like – and then Monas ran past me and I was like, Monas, you bugger. And he was like – Monas, when you run with him, he used to coach me. He he just looks straight ahead. He doesn't like – he doesn't cons- – yeah. he conserves all of his energy. And he's like – I was like, Monas, how you going, mate? When he ran past me, thinking that I'd he'd say, "Oh, hey Ryan, how you going?" And then um, he just blew past me and he didn't say a thing. And then one of my mates was on the course yelling out, "Go Mannix!" And um, he's like, "Ryan, is that you?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's me." <laughs> he waited for me, but he's like sixty years old, blowing past me. I think he.